You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. All right, if you've got a copy of God's Word, we are in Acts chapter 21. So whether you're at home or whether you're here with us this morning, Acts chapter 21, we are looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. We are beginning Act 6 of our uh, series, our preaching series here through the book of Acts. It started a long time ago, and we are in the final act, Act chapter 6, beginning this week, and we have called that the church unstoppable, the church unstoppable, which is such a good reminder to us, right? In the midst of a pandemic, uh, whenever crisis hits, this is what happens. Whenever crisis hits, we have this tendency to look in, inward and feel like everything has stopped. Can you relate to that? Like, kind of like in our world today, we've got like start, stop, start, stop, or like everything's kind of stopped. That's what happens when crisis hits. We look inwardly and we start to think that everything's stopped. But guess what? The church hasn't stopped. That's a great place for an amen. Right, an amen. The church hasn't stopped. In fact, the church is unstoppable. Let's practice that. Let's say unstoppable together, whether you're at home or whether you're here on the count of three, all right? Just say unstoppable. One, two, three. Unstoppable. Okay, the, amen. The church is what? It's unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. Why? Because Jesus promised that. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? Jesus promised that. Not only that, he's commissioned us. I love the story of how, of how Jesus calls his first disciples. Andrew and Simon, Peter. And he's, he's there fishing and Jesus says simply these words, follow me and then and I will make you fishers of men. Not just follow me, but follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I love the day, I remember the day when I began to follow Jesus, when I responded the call, to the call of Jesus in my own life to follow Jesus. And it, it's, it's so true. Not only is it true that Jesus calls us to himself to follow him, but when he does that, he also releases us into this amazing calling on our lives to actually make fishers of men. That's why it's no shock to me that at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, not only in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, but in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20, that Jesus goes back to those same things but says it in a great commission kind of way when he says, oh by the way, by the way disciples, I'm now calling you now to go and make disciples. Why? Because you're not only called to follow Jesus, you're also called to make fishers of men. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, one of the very first verses here in the, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 reminds us that, that the disciples were going to be, receive the Holy Spirit, and when they received the Holy Spirit, they would be empowered witnesses for Jesus Christ all around the world. Un, 
unstoppable. And the book of Acts, chapter after chapter after chapter, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of opposition, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, story after story, the gospel is spreading, the church is growing. It's unstoppable. And now we come to Acts chapter 21. We're nearing the end of this amazing book. And Paul is ending his third missionary journey. And Luke is recording for us a step-by-step, place-by-place record of, God, of Paul's journey to Jerusalem. There's a finality here in Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. Not only is Paul's missionary journey coming to a completion, but there's also a sense of he's getting closer to his death. He's literally, in some ways, walking in the footsteps of Jesus as he makes his way back to Jerusalem. So if you see the map on the screen, because we love maps, right? Maps are really important to us, especially in this series in the book of Acts. And this next 16 verses, we're going to see this is the journey that we're about to take. And in chapter 20, and at the beginning of chapter 21, they are in Miletus. And they're going to go from Miletus down to a place called Kos, and then they're going to go to Rhodes. And then they're going to go Rhodes to, to Patera, and then they're going to take a longer, longer kind of ship and go, and he'll say, we'll read this in just a minute, that Cyprus was on the left-hand side of the ship, so they're going to go right by Cyprus, make their way to Syria, and they'll land in Tyre, spend about a week there, then they'll go to Ptolemus, then they'll make their way to Caesarea, spend a little bit, just a very short period of time there, and then finally make their way to Jerusalem, all in 16 verses. That's what's going to happen. We're going to go from here all the way down to here. That's the journey we're about to take in these next 16, these next 16 verses. So let's read it, okay? You ready? Actually, I want to start in Acts chapter 20, if that's okay. I'm going to read a few verses in Acts chapter 20, and then we'll begin in Acts chapter 21. So let's look at verse 22 of Acts chapter 20. You got a copy of God's word? You ready to follow along? This is important. Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now, Paul says, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And then chapter 21, verse 1. And when we had parted, parted with from the elders in Miletus from them, and we set sail. We came by a straight course to Kos, and next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed 
and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. All the way from Miletus to the city of Jerusalem. Now, these verses given to us by the Spirit of God show us that the unstoppable church, the unstoppable church must choose conviction over convenience, obedience over comfort and safety. Let me say that again. This story shows us, and it reminds us, it's given to us, this record is given to us to show us how that the unstoppable church always chooses conviction over convenience, obedience over comfort and safety. We need to hear that. This is a word of the Lord for us in the day and age in which we live at the point in time that we are are living. This is not a social commentary about our culture. It's a spiritual commentary about the condition of our hearts. We have been called to Jesus. Those of you who have responded in faith, by by grace through faith, to the call of Jesus in your life to follow him, you've been called to Jesus to follow him, but also to make disciples for Jesus. Called to him, commissioned for him. The unstoppable church always has to fight against a qualified obedience. Like, I will obey if. Like, I'll obey if it's convenient, or I'll obey if it's not too hard, or I'll obey if there's no risk involved. And to answer that, I say, have you read the Gospels lately? The call of God in our lives to follow Jesus is, is, is not about convenience. It's not always easy. It's, there is risk. There is risk involved. And so the unstoppable church has to constantly, constantly choose 
the convictions of God's word over the convenience of the day and has to choose obedience always over comfort and safety. The Apostle Paul here is pushing past comfort and safety to obedience. And there's nothing romantic about it. You can't read chapter 21, verse 1 through 16 and say, oh, that's really nice. Isn't that beautiful what the Apostle Paul is doing? No, he's, he's ready to die. There's nothing romantic about this at all. He's, he's responding to the call of obedience on his life. He's pushing past comfort and safety. And that's the same call on his life as the same call on the unstoppable church. We like to say it, but in order to be it, we have to make that kind of choice. And if we're going to choose conviction over convenience or choose obedience over comfort and safety, these four things, I want to show you four things from this story that have to be true in your life. Okay, here's the first one. You ready? Here's the first one. Are you ready? Yeah, amen. We're ready. Okay, let's go back to chapter 20 and look at verses 22 through 24. Here's the first thing. You have to be convinced that the Spirit's leading. You have to be convinced that the Spirit is leading. You see what the Apostle Paul says in verse 22 of chapter 20? He says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. I'm, I'm constrained by the Spirit, he's saying. I'm, I'm bound by the Spirit to do this. The Spirit of God has revealed this to me, that I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. I'm constrained. I'm compelled to do this. The Spirit of God is definitely leading with a rock-solid clarity. Not only is he compelled, but he has this clarity in his mind, what God's call is for him to do, the whole, what the Holy Spirit is asking him to do. He's saying, I am going to Jerusalem. I am going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. That's what I'm doing. The Spirit of God is leading me to go to Jerusalem. And I, as he is convinced, I am also convinced that if you responded to the call of follow me in Jesus Christ in your life, then the words, I will make you fishers of men, equally apply. That disciples are called to disciple making. Both things apply. Jesus said, come, follow me, and there's no period. It's follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. And the thing I've learned about this is it's so, it's so yeah, true. Disciple-making just doesn't happen always when it's convenient. I remember a number of years ago when we were, Brenda and I were in our living room at home, you know, it was later at night, later in the evening, and uh, all of a sudden on our, on our door, uh, the door, it was pound, pound, pound. Like, not like, I don't even know, I don't even think they rang the doorbell. It was just like, bam, bam, bam. And uh, it was kind of rare, like, I mean, that doesn't happen often in our home, and so I went to the door, right, yeah, did the manly thing, I didn't say, hey, Brenda, you go do it, I actually, I actually went this time, and went to the door, and uh, I opened the door, and there were like these two police officers standing right outside my door, and I thought, wow, that's kind of odd, just want to go on record, that doesn't happen a lot to me, so, 
we were, uh, I was standing there, and, and, uh, and just around the corner, just, just, I could barely see her, but just around the side of her was our, the neighbor from across the street. She was, uh, you know, in a really tough marriage situation, and so the, the police officers were standing there on my front steps with her, and, and they, they said to me, hey, you know, your neighbor here, she needs somewhere to stay and to kind of cool off. Are you okay if she stays with you for a while? And I'm like, does this really happen? Like, I'm like, is this like a Twilight, a version from Twilight Zone? Like, what, does this actually, actually happen? Like, you're, you're coming to me? Like, are, like why, why is this my thing? That was my flesh, right? My flesh in that moment would rather not have the next number of hours dedicated to after a long day and after a tough week and after all these different things that happen in all of our lives, the last thing that I wanted to do was to spend the next number of hours on hands and knees and tears and going through all these different things. But you know what? Constrained by the Spirit. Earlier disciple maker. Constrained by the Spirit. Being reminded that I am a disciple of Jesus is also disciple-making for Jesus. You know, it, it doesn't always happen at the most convenient of times. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And, and it can be hard. It can be hard sometimes because it's warfare, right? You're, it's like you're, it's about, we're talking about souls here. Eternal souls. Some days it feels like you're pushing a rock up a hill. Other days it feels like people are throwing rocks at you. So you got to be convinced by the Spirit. If you're going to follow the call of God, not only, to, not only to follow Jesus, but then to be released as a disciple maker, you've got to be convinced by the Spirit. You need that kind of conviction in your life, one that's compelled, compelling, clear, and full of conviction. You have to be convinced that the Spirit's leading. And then here's the second thing. You need to expect misunderstanding. And what I love about this story in chapter 21, verses 1 through 16, is that the Holy Spirit is talking to everyone. I don't know if you noticed that, but if you look at in, in Acts chapter 21, verse 4, when they showed up at Tyre, the ship's unloading its cargo, they seek out the disciples, they stayed there for a week, and then it says, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. What's going on here? Well, the Spirit of God has been talking to the Apostle Paul and telling him that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, and he knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, that's not going to be a good scene for him. But the Spirit hasn't just revealed that to the Apostle Paul. He's actually revealed that to the people in Tyre. And those people are saying, hey, Paul, I think you need to stop the trip, right? Stop the trip, turn around, just abandon the trip. Not only does that happen in Tyre, but it actually happens in Caesarea as well. Do you see? And look, go down to verse 10 of Acts chapter 21, verse 10. He says, while we were, they're staying at Philip the Evangelist's house. You know, that's the same guy from chapter 8, right? The same guy in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the seven. Philip the Evangelist, they're staying, at, they're staying with him. And it says in verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, 
This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So you got to see this. Agabus is a prophet, and he's been sent by the Spirit of God to come into Caesarea to this situation. He walks in the room, and what does he do? He rips the belt off of the, pot, the belt that Apostle Paul is wearing. Maybe the money belt, maybe the belt that's holding up his clothes. We're not sure. But he rips it off of him, and he goes, Old Testament prophet. Right? He's just like, he's modeling out what, God, what the Spirit is saying. And so what he does is he takes that belt, he wraps it around his hands, and then he joins it around his feet, and he's like this. And he says, hey, I want you to know what the Holy Spirit's saying. Can you see how awkward this is for me? You can imagine what it would have been for him. This is what the Holy Spirit says. The guy who owns this belt, Paul, this is what's going to happen when you go to Jerusalem. They're going to drag you around like this. Holy Spirit's talking to everyone. Clear as a bell. Everyone is totally clear. Paul was in chapter 20. He knew about it. People in Tyre knew about it. People in Caesarea knew about it. Holy Spirit is revealing what's about to happen to the Apostle Paul. But here's the thing. They come to different conclusions. They all are hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying, but they're coming to different conclusions. The Spirit reveals what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but Paul's response is so different from everybody else's. You see verse 12? Look at chapter 21, verse 12. Here's Luke writing. When we heard this, Luke, all the travel companions that are with the Apostle Paul, plus the people who are in Caesarea, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. They urged him not to go, just like like the people in Tyre did in in verse 4. With tears in their eyes, they begged him. They pleaded with the Apostle Paul, stop the trip, turn it around, turn around, please, don't go. They had the absolute best of intentions. You know, we're not talking about people who are like enemies with the Apostle Paul. These are Paul's loved ones. These are the ones that he's closest to. These are the ones that he's sharing life with. These are the ones he's journeying with, the ones that he eats with. These are his best friends. These are the people who love Paul, who have their best, nothing but his best intentions in mind. They want what's best for the Apostle Paul. God has used Paul in their lives up to this point. They're his traveling companions. They don't want him to suffer. They want him to be safe. We urge you, don't go. And yet Paul says in verse 13, listen to what he says. He says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? That word for breaking my heart, it's like, have you ever seen pictures of people? I don't know if you, we still do this or not, but you know those big area carpets that people have, you know, they collect dust and all that kind of stuff, and every once in a while you'll drag them out of your house and you'll throw them over a fence or over a line, a line in the backyard or something like that, and you've got somebody who takes out a big mallet or something like that, and they just go pounding on the carpet. You just, so the dust will get out of the carpet. Have you seen that happen before? Just pound and pound and pound. That pounding, that word for pounding the carpet is the exact same word that's used here for breaking my heart. 
what Paul is saying is, why are you stop pounding on my emotions? Why are you beating my, up my heart like this? Why are you doing this? Paul loves them. They love Paul. It's not like he wants to leave them behind. It's not like he, he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. It's, that's, that's not it. He's compelled by the Spirit. He's convinced that the Spirit of God is calling him to Jerusalem. You see, sometimes our love for the people that we love so dearly, our love for them, can get in the way of God's plan. Many times, many times, the easy path is not the right path. Now, I... I know you're like me, all of you here and all of you at home, you have, you have a, a circle of people that you would call, he, these are the people that I really love. They're your family members or your people who are really close to you or whatever. I want you to think about all the names of those people, that tight circle, that tight circle of people, the closest of people that you share this kind of relationship with, like that Paul had with these people. I know what my circle's like. For Brenda and I, it's our... Four, it's our two children, our son and their daughter and their spouses and our five grandchildren, or what I like to say, our grandchildren and their parents. <laughs> Some of you will understand what that means in about 10 years, but. You got it, you got it, you got it? You know what your circle's like? Do you have that? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your prayers for those people that you love? Happiness? How many times has a parent had a conversation with a child and said, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. Fulfillment? wanting them to grow up so they can feel fulfilled with whatever they're doing, some kind of self-fulfillment in their life. Or, or maybe, maybe your prayers are around safety. I pray, I, I want my family, just, I, I really, my prayer, if I were to sum up my prayers, it would be safety. Or maybe it's, maybe it's I just want them to live a good life. I want them to have a comfort-filled kind of life. All of those things are well-meaning. But they're not always the best thing to hope for. We should be praying and we should be hoping for those that love us. We should be praying that they would push past comfort and safety and live a life of obedience. That somehow God would lead your children and lead your grandchildren to follow him and then to be released to make disciples. That's what I'm praying for. But I'm also praying this, that my heart, as I cry out to God, that my heart would be filled with grace to release those that I love to whatever God wants them to do and wherever he wants to take them to do it.
whether it's here or far away, whether it's to a safe place or to a place that's full of risk, and that God somehow would give in my heart, as I pray the same for you right now, that God would give you the grace of the words that are found in verse 14. Let the will of the Lord be done. In order for us, in order for us to be a church that's unstoppable, uh, that is truly unstoppable, we have got to understand that we have to choose conviction over convenience. Obedience first is what we have to choose. We have to be convinced of the Spirit's leading. We've got to understand there's going to be some misunderstandings, and we've got to work our way through that. But here's the third thing. You need to be able to count the cost and be willing to make the sacrifice. The Apostle Paul in verse 13 says three very powerful words right after the question when he says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? He says this, four, and then he says these words, I am ready. He says, I am, I, am, I am ready. I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem, he says. I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? On screen, we have a picture of uh, John G. Patton with his COVID beard. In the 1600s, the Spanish discovered a, a series of islands in the South Pacific, now called New Hebrides. And uh, 230 years after they discovered that, the first missionaries went to um, New Hebrides to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They arrived by ship, and they got off the ship, and they made their way on shore, and within a few minutes, they were dead and eaten by cannibals. 19 years after that event, John Patton and his wife left on a ship to go to the New Hebrides. And guess what? Not everybody was excited about that. In fact, there was an elderly man named Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dixon, and put his quote up now, put the response up. Mr. Dixon said, Mr. Dixon said, hey, 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 if you go, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. And this is what John Patton's response was to him. He says, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. That's kind of funny, you know. I thought, wow, I wish I could think that quickly on my feet. He's ready. He was ready. Where, where are the followers of Jesus Christ who are ready? Ready to push past comfort and safety and obey the call that God has on their life to make disciples, to count the costs and make the sacrifice. Now, I... 
I know that most people in this room will not be called to go to a far country like John Patton was or to lay their life down for the gospel. But are you willing? Are you willing? Are you even ready to walk across the street and say hi to a neighbor that you has lived there for years and to engage with them in conversation so that maybe, maybe you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them? Are you ready to sacrifice the pursuit of the promotion for more time to disciple your children? Are you ready to reorient your financial investment strategy so you can be a gospel patron to invest in disciple-making opportunities? Are you ready? Where are the young men and the young women who are ready? Ready to count the cost and make the sacrifice and commit their lives to disciple-making in North America and, all, and maybe around the world. Ready for a new dream, not the North American dream, but the kingdom of God dream. Whether you become a doctor or whether you become a lawyer or whether you become a preacher or whether you become a business owner or a store clerk, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness wherever that leads you. Are you ready? And where are the older men and women who are ready? Ready to lay aside days of leisure to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Now I'm thankful that there are people in our church and our faith community that are like that, that are ready and they are exhibiting that and I praise the Lord for that but I ask of God right now Lord bring us more for your honor for your glory, for your kingdom are you ready man there's such powerful words the apostle Paul speaks he says I'm ready not only to be imprisoned but even to die in Jerusalem and then he says this, and this is what everything hinges, everything that we talked about up to this point hinges on this next point, this fourth point. You have to be gripped by the gospel. Gripped by the gospel. He says in verse 13, he says, I am ready to do this for the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, I'm not ready to do it for anyone else. I'm not just ready just to go to Jerusalem because it's the next stop on the way. I'm not ready to do it, but I am ready if it's for the name of the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. Jesus radically changed the Apostle Paul's life. On the road to Damascus, he totally transformed that man revolutionize his life. And some of you have experienced the exact same thing. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus is everything. He changes everything. Do you know that we are not good enough people? We're not good enough people. I, I, I remind you so much of the story in Luke chapter 18 of the rich young ruler where the, rich, the ruler says in chapter 18, verse 18 of the gospel of Luke, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. He says, good teacher, talking to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love Jesus' response. He says, wow, it's kind of interesting you would call me good. 
right? He's, and he says, no one is good except God alone. Yes, that's right. Only God is good. Only God is holy. Only God is good. And yet, how many people in this world think that if they're good enough, they will inherit eternal life? So many people think that. The rich young ruler thought that. Yeah. Jesus said, have you, have you kept this commandment? Have you kept, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've done that. Well then get, you know, give everything, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. There's always something. So I'm not really sure. Well, have you ever lied before? Have you ever stolen anything before? Have you ever lusted after someone else before? Sin separates us from God. It separates us from God. Not only, the sin is not only things that we've done. We know in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, everyone has sinned, has committed sin. But you also know that in Romans chapter 5, it teaches us that our very nature is sinful. Our hearts are set apart from God. We are not basically good. Don't buy, don't buy into the line where it says, oh, you know, people are basically good. No, people are not basically good. Your heart is set apart from God. You are desperately wicked, is what the scriptures teach us when they tell us about our hearts. We're independent, autonomous, set apart from God. And that leaves you and me in a very desperate situation. We are separated from God because of our sin, and we aren't good enough to be with God. You're not good enough to be in God's presence. He's the only one who is good. In fact, we deserve nothing but judgment from God. It's only his grace that I'm alive right now. But because of God's love, his grace, his mercy, he makes a way for us, and that way is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, comes to the earth, takes on human form, and lives a perfect life, dies on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. He takes my judgment. He takes your judgment on himself. He experiences the wrath of God for, for sin. That's what we should have been experiencing. But he takes it on himself. So that by faith alone, by grace alone, and by Christ alone, God now looks at me because of my faith in Christ. He now looks at me and he counts and declares me to be righteous. I'm good enough because Jesus' goodness, his righteousness, is all over me. I'm in Christ. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew, knew no sin, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of Christ. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know, I, only the Spirit of God can do this, but I'm just telling you right now, in my heart, all I can say is, that's awesome. And that's why Paul said, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this if it's for the name of Jesus. I'm ready not only to be in prison, I'm even ready to die, but only for one reason, for the name of the Lord Jesus. His life is gripped by the gospel. Nothing greater in his life, he just understands every single day. And this is what has to be true of our lives too. Every single day, gripped by the gospel, we've been justified by faith. We're being sanctified by the Spirit by faith. It's, it's, it's awesome. And until your life is gripped by the gospel about the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, until that happens, you won't do the rest of it. And it's when the gospel grips your heart, when the gospel grips your heart is when you're willing to count the cost and you're willing to sacrifice. It's when you're willing to follow the call. It's when you know that the Spirit is calling you. We need this I need this story. I'm so thankful to God that he put this story in his word. I need to be reminded of this, especially in these days, that I have not only been called to Jesus, but I have been called for Jesus to make disciples. And the unstoppable church always has to choose that conviction over convenience and choose obedience over comfort and safety. God, please help us. Help us to be convinced that the Spirit of God is actually leading us on the, in this direction and that we would be ready to count the cost and to sacrifice, but for only one reason, and one reason alone, for the name of Jesus Christ. No, one other's na no other person's name, no other person's glory, no other reason, no other reason other than the fact of what Jesus has already done. Amen? Let's pray together. So, Spirit, I pray right now. I've been praying this so hard today. Please, Father, please, we plead with you that you would, your Spirit would touch someone's life today and they, their life would be radically changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, like Paul's was. Father, we, we plead with you. We ask, we ask that you would set apart one, two, three, maybe four or five people from the, our church life who are just going to sense in a unique way the call of God on their life, the call of God on their life to not only follow the gospel, to come to Jesus, but then to be commissioned to be disciple makers for Jesus. And whatever vocation they're in, whatever that looks like, you're just going to radically transform them, even right now. May they follow the call in their life to follow Jesus, to become a disciple maker for Jesus. I want to pray for our students right now. God, grab hold of their life, please. Touch the life 
of a young man or a young woman now. Spirit, call them to a life-changing task. Release them into disciple-making. Empower them for that. Please, Lord, for your glory, for the name of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.